Welcome to Beyond Toast, Episode 10. We are the champions. Welcome to Beyond Toast. I'm Mike Weston, and this is the podcast where Toastmasters indulge their two greatest passions, food and language. And I'd like to start this week's episode with a reading. Goblin Market by Christina Rossetti Morning and evening, maids heard the goblins cry. Come buy our orchard fruits, come buy, come buy. Apples and quinces, lemons and oranges. Plump unpecked cherries, melons and raspberries, bloom-down-cheeked peaches, swart-headed mulberries, wild freeborn cranberries, crab-apples, dewberries, pineapples, blackberries, apricots, strawberries, all ripe together in summer weather, morns that pass by, fair eaves that fly, come by, come by, our grapes fresh from the vine, Pomegranates full and fine, dates and sharp bullaces, rare pears and green gauges, damsons and bilberries, taste them and try, currants and gooseberries, bright fire like barberries, figs to fill your mouth, citrons from the south, sweet to tongue and sound to eye, come by, come by. Evening by evening, among the brookside rushes, Laura bowed her head to hear, Lizzie veiled her blushes, crouching close together in the cooling weather, with clasping arms and cautioning lips, with tingling cheeks and fingertips. Lie close, Laura said, pricking up her golden head. We must not look at goblin men, we must not buy their fruits. Who knows upon what soil they fed, their hungry, thirsty roots. Come by, called the goblins, hobbling down the glen. Just the start of Rossetti's classic poem on temptation. And let's see who I've tempted onto the show this week. It's time to introduce this week's guest. And our guest this week is Becky Grady. Becky, please introduce yourself. Thank you, Mike. My name is Becky Grady. I live in Anchorage, Alaska in the U.S. I am part of Diamond Talkers here in Anchorage. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk about food. It's great to have you. You're breaking a record here. You are now by far, and this is the best way to break any record, the furthest away guest I have had thus far on the podcast. I think you're coming in at something like 4,470 odd miles. Like any good record setting, that's going to stand for a while. Congratulations on being my first truly international guest. It's a great thing to have you. Thank you very much. So Alaska and Anchorage, it conjures up this kind of quintessential American vision, probably somewhat corrupted by the idea of ice road truckers. It is this idea of individualism and, and rugged American life. Is that true to life? Not in Anchorage. Anchorage is the largest city in the state, and we're just like any other city. We have cable television and cell phones. I drive a pickup truck to work. But there are some smaller communities where, yeah, they drive snow machines to get from place to place. The only way in or out is an airplane. So absolutely, there are some of those places. This just isn't one of them. <laughs> Tell me about your Toastmasters Club. How large is it? What sort of people come along? 
Our club has 12 active members. We're not big, but we have a pretty healthy group. We've been about the same size for about four or five years. I've been a part of this group for my entire Toastmaster career. It is a very eclectic group. We have retired engineers, retired people, a couple of accountants, a couple of laborers, which are in the United States, laborers are people not just that do the grunt work, they do a lot of hands-on type things. We have just a huge disparaging group. Sounds like a fantastic slice of life. A good cultural melting pot, as one would expect from the States. I must pop along because you were so kind to come along to our club in London, Public Speakers. I really should return the favour, although the time differences do make it slightly more challenging. Well, we meet at 7 a.m. on Wednesdays, Alaska Daylight Savings Time. Do you have Daylight Savings Time? We have our own British summertime. Everywhere has their own particular way of dealing with time. And you'd think at this point we'd manage to standardise them all, but no. Well, and right now we're nine hours behind London. So I think it's probably not quite as bad. Uh, 7 a.m. Wednesday mornings, you can visit our website, which is diamondtalkers.toastmastersclubs.org. And we spell diamond, D-I-M-O-N-D. And our Zoom information is right there on the front website. So if you want to join or if anybody wants to join, feel free. I'll add that link to the show notes. It is seven in the morning. That does sound like it's doable. My time. I shall not hold back. Next Wednesday, I shall make an appointment in my diary and be along. Wonderful. Only lovely to return the favour. Anyway, I've held you off for long enough. You started off by expressing how passionate you were about food. And I've just kept you hungry, hungry for the next section of this podcast, which is, of course, favourite food memories. It's those memories that linger in your head and pop out sometimes at the most inappropriate moments when you're trying to concentrate on something else and really get that saliva running. So, Becky, what's your favourite food memory? not quite as elegant as some's. Mine is Pizza Hut pizza. My dad, growing up, my dad worked construction during the summer, so he would be gone for a week or two weeks at a time, but he usually worked within a hundred miles of where we lived. He would take a camper out and, and stay there. And my mom and I, I was an only child, My mom and I would get a Pizza Hut pizza on Friday nights, drive out to his camper. We'd all have pizza and spend the night and it would turn into a weekly thing. And so for me, just the memories of that rewarmed pizza, because of course it was cold by then, in the microwave and the crust that was a little bit chewy and the cheese that you could get to melt so perfectly, all the different vegetables and the different textures and being able to sit around that little tiny camper table with my mom and my dad, just talking about things that were going on and what had happened during the week. And so Pizza Hut pizza, not just any, Pizza Hut pizza is definitely my special food memory. That is absolutely the quintessential idea of food memory. It's that tied up with family, tied up with tradition, takes you, completely transports you to another time and place. The problem with podcasts 
the listeners cannot see the brightness in your eyes and, and the big smile that will take you as soon as you start thinking about it. And again, that's the power of food. I imagine even now as you have a pizza, how pizza itself takes part of you back. Absolutely. Absolutely. And they, they still make that pizza from 30 years ago. So I can still get the exact same pizza and definitely, definitely that's takes back. My Everything Pizza by Anonymous. I ordered an Everything Pizza, which probably was a mistake, for it came with a bag full of donuts. It came with a shovel and rake. It came with a woman named Ida. It came with a man from Peru. It came with a half jar of peanuts. It came with somebody's left shoe. It came with a clown from the circus. It came with a butterfly net. It came with a small piece of Kleenex, once used by Marie Antoinette. It came with an open umbrella. It came with some smelly old socks. It came with a picture of Lassie and two lovely grandfather clocks. It came with a nice set of dishes. It came with a stale loaf of bread. It came with a sack of potatoes. It came with a four-poster bed. It came with a dining room table. It came with a washer and dryer. It came with a broken guitar string. It came with a radial tyre. It came with a golden retriever. It came with a basket of fruit. It came with a bottle of mustard. It came with a red rubber boot. It came with a college professor. It came with a hive full of bees. And then, this is simply amazing, they forgot to put on any cheese. That's fantastic. In an earlier episode, I talked about my favourite pizza, which is no more and is forever lost to time. So I'm I'm glad that you can still connect with that memory. (laughs) Yes, yes, very nice memories. Excellent. You can relive that memory anytime you like. But I have talked about my distress at my poor pizza memory lost forever. So is there any comfort food that you would suggest that I try to up my spirits? Something that you would turn to if you were feeling a bit down? My best comfort food is peanut butter. And I actually have an ode to peanut butter I would like to read, sir. Please take to the floor. Thank you. I found this on the internet, of course. And it is written by Mandy. Oh, delectable peanut butter, you creamy goddess of the pantry, your crunch and texture of pleasure. Oh, delightful peanut butter, the way you make bread divine, how you stick succulently above the tongue. Oh, scrumptious peanut butter, my mouth gleeks with jubilation. What is life without your presence? Oh, titillating peanut butter, you tease my taste buds with ecstasy. To have even just a little is exquisite. Oh, darling peanut butter, I am your devotee and you are my sanctity. That surely summons up all of your passions and love of peanut butter in one delightful bloom. If I could have peanut butter every day, I absolutely would. And not all peanut butters are the same. There are different brands, there's different textures. They're not all as delicious. Absolutely. You just need to look at the aisles and there's usually a good three feet of different peanut butters to choose from, even in the UK. In the States, there's you know, there's probably an entire aisle of peanut butter given <laughs> the amount of choice you can get. But yeah, even here, you know, you can get the, the crunchy ones and the, the organic ones and the oily ones and the salty ones, something a bit sweet, something a bit savoury, all sorts of different uses. It's got nuts in it, which is great for a start, but you can also use it just as butter. Eat it on a spoon. 
Well, yes, my partner certainly does that. Again, in an earlier episode, one of the recipes I was talking about in my Eat of the Week was peanut butter, chocolate and banana cake. I had to make it quickly because if I left the jar of peanut butter out, she would be there with a spoon, just gradually, slowly depleting it away. But like a drip, drip, drip on rock, it would eventually be completely drained. So I'd have to move fairly quickly. Peanut butter, great comfort food, one of the classics. Although I've never been a, a peanut butter and jam man. Peanut butter and jelly is good on bread, like a regular sandwich. Do you have Goober's peanut butter? It's a jar that has both peanut butter and strips of jelly in it. I've seen that. I've never quite summed up the, the courage. I tried it one time. It was not delicious. It definitely took away from my enjoyment of the peanut butter. Peanut butter on toast, peanut butter on a spoon, on celery. You can do a lot with peanut butter. Absolutely. Again, in just this discussion about peanut butter, I feel that my despair that was settling upon me about my inability to have that pizza again is, has been lifted. It's, it is the <laughs> pure magic of peanut butter. Restored some hope. <laughs> well, we could certainly do with a jar of that, if nothing else. Yeah, absolutely. And on the subject of hope, I do hope that you enjoy this week's Mike's Eat of the Week. And this week, my Eat of the Week is the humble baked potato which, while simple, could be the ultimate comfort food. It's there when we need it, regardless of the circumstances, and has the opportunity to add such complexity and depth of flavour as to meet any challenges we could possibly want. My earliest memory of baked potatoes was the power cuts and rolling brackouts that hit the UK in the late 70s and early 80s. I recall a baked potato wrapped in tinfoil, nestled into the roaring fire, cooking slowly in the embers. When all other avenues leading to a hot meal were closed off, the baked potato was there. When I was cold and wet, camping out in the cold highlands, the baked potato was there, waiting in the campfire, ready to warm me up to my very core. When, as a poor student, I barely had two pennies to rub together, there was always a baked potato waiting back in my flat, ready to give me enough energy to see me through the week. And even now, 20 years later, I know I can turn to the baked potato like a trusty old friend, and I know what I'm going to get. It's going to be rich, satisfying, filling, tasty. It will never let me down, and as my tastes change, it changes along with me. If it's beans, beans is fine. If it's cheese, cheese is great. If it's chilli, why not? These are just toppings. The baked potato is what holds them all together. And in the end, it is the baked potato which endures and takes its place amongst the most comforting of comfort foods. It is now time for our segment where you have the opportunity to bring together three guests into a fantastic fantasy meal for four. So I'd like to ask you if you could choose three people, alive, dead, fictitious, from the past, present or future, who would they be? Where would you go and what would you eat? to say my initial thoughts were 
I would choose somebody maybe from historical times. And then I thought, but I'd spend my entire dinner explaining what a cell phone was. And then I thought, oh, I'll choose somebody from the future. Well, now I have to explain how to use a plain fork instead of just eating a pill. So I chose current people. I chose Lin-Manuel Miranda, author of Hamilton, which is a, a very popular musical right now. He wrote a large part of the score for the movie Moana. He is so instantly creative that I can just imagine the type of conversations that we could have. I have also invited my youngest sister, Jordan, who is 20 years younger than me. I know I said I was an only child, but I was until I was quite a bit older. She and I seem to share a brain. So she's a lot of fun to talk to because we connect on a lot of different things quickly. And my last person I would invite is a poet named Christopher Poindexter. He's not especially well known, but his work really resonates with me. And I actually have a reading from him as well. Very, very short. Christopher Poindexter, I loved her, not for the way she danced with my angels, but for the way the sound of her name could silence my demons. That's it. Very short. Yeah, to that's the lovely. It is. And all of his stuff is very to the point and succinct and just evokes these emotions and images. His prose just is so deep to me. I love words. I love numbers. And I love the way these things always work together. I think that he would be really interesting to have at my dinner. He would look at my plate of food and immediately have something elegant to say. As a fantastic selection of guests, I mean, everything I've seen of Lin-Manuel Bernanda, he just comes across as both, you know, as you say, creative, but such an approachable and nice person as well. In all these interviews, he seems down to earth and just keen to get his message across and drive his energy into something positive. Love is Love by Lin-Manuel Miranda. My wife's the reason anything gets done. She nudges me towards promise by degrees. She is a perfect symphony of one. Her son is our most beautiful reprise. We chase the melodies that seem to find us until they finish songs and start to play when senseless acts of tragedy remind us that nothing here is promised, not one day. This show is proof that history remembers. We live through times when hate and fear seem stronger. We rise and fall and light from dying embers, remembrance that hope and love last longer. And love is 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 love. Cannot be killed or swept aside. I sing Vanessa's symphony. Eliza tells her story. Now fill the world with music, love and pride. Yeah, so him and that poet, Poindexter, just that precision use of words, the sparsity of language, the punchy points. I think that would be a great counterpoint to the sometimes exuberance of Manuel Miranda. And with your sister in the middle, you could play them off against each other and sort of just be part of this melee of, of creativity. I think that sounds absolutely fantastic. But what sort of meal would set that off to, the, to its fullest? We would absolutely be eating Italian food. We would have lasagna, we would have garlic bread, lots of cheese on everything, melted and perfect noodles, sauces, meatballs, everything that we traditionally think of as being Italian. I think it would be fun to have both Lin-Manuel Miranda and Christopher Poindexter 
giving us our creative interpretation of our Italian meal. We'd have Lin-Manuel rapping about how great the meatballs are. We'd have Christopher talking about how the red sauce reminds him of death and the netherworld and where is my angel now? And I think it would be a lot of fun. And we would eat at my house because my husband is the best cook I know. And he makes the most amazing food. Italian all the way. I'd have my own private chef. I'd have my three people to have fun with. Uh, to me, that is just the perfect dinner. Italian Food by Shel Silverstein Oh, how I love Italian food. I eat it all the time. Not just cause how good it tastes, but cause how good it rhymes. Minestrone, cannelloni, macaroni, rigatoni, spaghettini, scallopini, escarole, bralacole, insalata, cremolata, manicotti, marinara, carbonara, shrimp francaise, bolognese, ravioli, mostacoli, mozzarella, tagliatelli, fried zucchini, rollatini, fettuccini, green linguini, tortellini, tetrazzini. Oops, I think I split my genie. It sounds like you should get the invites out soon. I'm salivating just at the thought of it. Yes, I love someone who can cook well. I can cook well simply because my partner put me on various training courses. <laughs> For about 10 birthdays in a row, she got me a new cooking course in a completely different areas. I've done Indian, I've done fish cookery, I've done Thai cookery, I've done Scottish traditional cookery, various other things. A small amount of Italian, but I wouldn't say I was any way good at it. So yes, yes, I think you cannot beat some home-cooked food with love. I think that would fit in with everything you've just talked about there, the energy you've brought to that particular fantasy meal. Oh, yes, yes. That's absolutely <laughs> fantastic. I was just going to say, I saw Lin-Manuel Miranda on an interview with Jimmy Kimmel. It can't be Jimmy Kimmel. Who's the guy? Jimmy Fallon. And they had the wheel of rapping. And he did a rap about Darth Vader and apple pie that he made up on the spot. And immediately I thought, I can just imagine him making up raps about the house or the food or the dogs or, and just how entertaining that would be. We've kind of lost that along the way, haven't we? These dinner parties where people could just keep themselves entertained. You know, you get your phone out or there's television on somewhere and yeah, the ability just to you know, entertain ourselves with ourselves. I think that alone would be a great reason for having that fantasy meal. Now, of course, I have to send out invitations and see if I can get anybody to show up. <laughs> <laughs> I hope they do, because otherwise, when you take the conversation into that terrible place that cannot be mentioned, but I have to mention, when you decide to talk about one of the three taboo subjects, and that is politics, religion, or sex, that partly has to happen, so that happens. It is the way that time works. You're in that situation, straight into that territory. So which of the three taboo topics would you choose and why? If I got to choose which of the three we talked about, it would definitely be religion. Not because I'm a very pious person or that I am agnostic, simply because to me it is such an interesting subject and everybody has an opinion. It's one of those things that we are all connected with in one way or another. Whether you feel strongly one way or the other, it doesn't matter. What matters is that you can intelligently argue your point. And so if I had to choose, it would be that. 
politics, I'm not educated enough to make intelligent uh, points, but I would try. It's arguable if politicians are educated enough to make salient points. <laughs> well, that's true as well. And sex, people just are not comfortable talking about those things. Not that religion is any easier to talk about, but I think that everybody has just enough knowledge to support their points, whatever they may be. So that would definitely be my choice. That is a good position to take, isn't it? You want a discussion where you can be open and free, and that's difficult to do with politics because you're always going to step on someone else's worldview. And it's not something you want to do with sex, if I'm entirely honest. That's not something I entirely want to get to grips with in that way. So I think religion is a, is a good place to go. And yeah, if people are willing to be open, keep an open mind, have that open discussion, and not take any offence. So many people go into discussions wanting to take offence, then they're going to take offence. Whereas if it's just a case of, look, this is my point, I'm not trying to cram it down your neck. So yeah, I think that is, a, that is definitely a good way of handling that impossible situation. <laughs> I try to think that any discussion can become possible with the right state of mind. I think you can talk about anything if both parties or however many people are involved are open to suggestion and willing to rationally discuss ideas without that judgment or without that offense being taken. And I think that's very much core to the whole ethos of Toastmasters. You know, the mm -hmm. idea of, you know, it's not just the talking, it's not just the sound of your own voice, it's the evaluation, and you've got to be open to that coming back as much as you are as open to speaking as well. And I think that's why I enjoy talking to fellow Toastmasters so much, because you do get that, that open backwards and forwards, that to and fro of ideas. Anyway, you have broken the rules, you have spoken about one of the subjects, which means you are going to be cast out of your party, which is a shame, because I'm sure as you're being escorted towards the door, Lin-Manuel Miranda is coming out with an absolutely amazing <laughs> rap about it. And you're not going to hear the end, how he brings it to a fantastic conclusion, because you're out the door, cast into the night, having to fend for yourself. In this terrible situation, which guilty pleasure are you going to turn to? listening to Lin-Manuel, you're out, you're out, you gotta go. I'm gonna take myself up to Cold Stone Creamery. It is an American ice cream shop where they mix in different ingredients into the ice cream on a frozen slab. They scoop out your ice cream, slap it on this frozen slab. I can add in peanut butter and they scoop big scoops of peanut butter and flop it on there and chocolate and then they take these frozen paddles and squish it all together scoop it all up big huge containers you can have sprinkles you can have crushed oreo cookies you can have so many different things cold stone ice cream is absolutely my guilty pleasure it's not the same as some of the other knockoff ice cream places that have that frozen block has to be Cold Stone. Ice cream is made fresh every day. They use local ingredients, so it's never been frozen before it's supposed to be. Absolutely, Cold Stone ice cream is my guilty pleasure, and there's one close enough within walking distance. So as Christopher Boindexter is crying into his dinner as I'm leaving, I would be walking my way to Cold Stone. Just in the sound of your voice, any potential guilt that you might have had has completely evaporated. 
And yes, that does sound like the pleasure side of guilty pleasure far more than the guilt side. I love the way ice cream has evolved. And America, certainly for me, has led the way. In the UK growing up, we had terrible blocks of fairly uninspiring ice creams. And I just remember when the first American ice cream sort of parlor started coming in with their you know, sort of real mixes and flavors and different other things. Yeah, it blew my mind. I still have a guilty desire to go off and try them every now and again, but it could be something you ration yourself. Otherwise, it can easily get out of control. Absolutely. I think in general, the U.S. uses more sugar in most things. And I think that the ice cream is sweeter in general, but we're more willing to mix things in. It doesn't have to be a pure block of Neapolitan ice cream. I can take it and mix in caramel or chocolate or whatever I have lying around. And I think it's the sugar content that makes a difference. Yeah, I would deny that Ben and Jerry's got me through my PhD. I would absolutely. Uh, there was a grocer just across the road, and in my darkest moments, all night grocers, two o'clock in the morning, I would just go there and get a little tub of fish food or chocolate brownie and just work my way through that. And yeah, the sugar was probably the one that was keeping me going, but very enjoyable experience. And it cures all the blues, doesn't it? It does Maybe. indeed. Sadly, well, I say sadly, but not sadly at all. Our blues are cleared. We're coming out of this podcast, even though that we've been kicked out of the party in far more positive mood than I've seen in a long while. But it is bringing us to the end of the episode. So as we're approaching that, Becky, is there anything in particular you'd like to promote? I really would like to promote Toastmasters. There are so many people that are terrified of speaking. An American comedian, Jerry Seinfeld, says that There are more people that are afraid of speaking in public than of dying. If you read some of the statistics, people say that. And that to me is so sad. You're missing out on so many opportunities, even if it's just within a family gathering or at work, hit up your local Toastmasters. And in these times you can use Zoom. You can go to any Toastmaster that you can find the time. Just learn how to talk to people. Yes, I think you're spot on. I mean, Zoom, before the pandemic, I was not a great fan of Zoom. But just this opportunity to go around the world and talk to other Toastmasters and just, and just see what other people are doing and connect with people that I would never have connected with through any other way. Certainly no, not through work, but through Toastmasters and Zoom. It's, it's, it's a great way of broadening one's world vision. And when you're trapped inside or trapped in a small community, oh, yeah, a, a fantastic thing. Toastmasters opens doors both you know, personally and in your career as well. Thank you. Yeah, I I agree. I'd never even heard of Zoom before the pandemic. That's the end of the episode. I'd like to thank you for listening. And if you've liked what you've heard, please rate, review or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you've enjoyed the readings, then please do check out the poet's other work. That is it. That is the, the episode for this week. So it's goodbye from me and from our guest. Thank you very much for having me, Mike. It was a pleasure. Oh, lovely to have you on. And I do hope that you'll join us next time for another episode of Beyond Toast.